Hey. Yeah, there we go. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, I just, um, like, I don't even know what I just did. I did a weird thing, and everything got messed up. That was bizarre. Okay, <laughs> we're back. Oh, I just um, so, yeah. Searched your wallpaper, found it, done, you done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I had accidentally closed the Zoom window while trying to open it, and then, um, yeah, who knows? It's up though, and then I but I lost this and I couldn't I couldn't start the audio. So, bling! Wow. Um, <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> um, how's everybody doing tonight? Doing Can't see good. anything. I'm blind. It's terrible. Lost my glasses in the ocean. Rogue wave got me. <laughs> Unable to see. Can't read the news. <laughs> you know, the ocean's a pretty big place. Yeah, the Pacific Ocean doesn't have a lost and found either, so I'm, I'm sure out of luck there. It does. It's at the RTB for all the drones. Zero, zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyone do some uh, some cool stuff this weekend? This week? Last um, week, since we didn't do a show? <laughs> yeah, I've spent a lot of time working on a couple different tools that I'm going to release soon. It's just I'm in the process of doing that thing where you know when like if you go through like a tool that you've written to do something but you just want it to be like normal so that you don't have to like do something stupid to make it work better and then like you end up re-architecting the whole thing yeah that's um, a, that's the best feeling man yeah i mean it's, it's fun but at the same time sometimes you get like overwhelmed by like design choices and um other sort of little nuanced things and trying to make something portable rather than just running on on like this one specific directory and oh, machine that everything's like symlink to. <laughs> oh my god, the number of times I've rewritten something and gotten just bogged down by the rewrite, and it would have just been faster to deal with the crappy stuff to begin with. I've yeah, just been no, studying, studying insert hell. Yeah, I will tell you from experience though that the tool is fucking awesome. <laughs> it's Thanks. Pretty cool. Yeah, and no, I'm excited to put it out there. There's also the the other side of it though, where like you're over engineer something, you're like, oh, it's gonna do this and this and this, and you end up writing like all this like frank, like structure that you're gonna use later, and then it comes to like yeah, and you're like, uh, I'll pick it up, never. Yeah, um, my favorite's when I build something on my desktop, and then like a month or two later, I go to put it on my laptop, and I go to install the libraries it's using, and it's using a different version of the libraries or something oh, messed up, and then everything's all all backwards and I just go, oh well, I guess I don't need to do anything ever. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. That's the uh standard fare. I guess it's just, yeah, I mean like when I write stuff, I usually try to do a pretty good job of writing things that'll be reusable for later, but sometimes I just write things so fast that like to solve a specific problem in the now, but sometimes I just like will lose track of stuff. And sometimes I won't even write things to be the same like script i'll just write several scripts that i end up chaining together which then like i'm or i'm like relying on already shitty code to then plug into other scripts and it's just like yeah oh my gosh my, my personal my personal bash in python hell so <laughs> but my favorite having to debug like 30 scripts at once that feed into each other like oh god yeah print everything and all the scripts yes it's called programming Got here, got here one, got yeah. here two. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I 
I always put like oof in my stuff and sometimes I'll forget that <laughs> I put it as an, as an exception and it doesn't even like print the exception. It just says oof. And I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> like, I'll see it and it'll sometimes be something that like didn't happen. And then it'll be in the middle of a bunch of stuff that did happen. And I'll just notice it. And it's just like a little, like this little call, like you screw up somewhere, dude, like fix yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's not like a really vulgar swear word or, or set of statements. I've seen people who put, that shit and production code and that ends poorly. Oh yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Just like just swearing. <laughs> I've been super diligent about not using print and using like log levels in Python. I don't know. Oh uh, well, you could also use uh, a lovely debugging tool. Uh, oh, look at these actual programmers here. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, because I, I was writing JavaScript, like for so, like writing Node. Sorry. But for so long, like, like using like a logging library to do stuff just became habit. And I'm like, yeah. I never yeah. do this shit in Python. I always just do like every every time I print, I do like the square brackets plus because my exploits are mad late. And uh, Python's got a solid printing library too, or solid logging library too. Yeah, you like <laughs> I've got a formatter that I copy paste now that does that. So if I do like log info, it's the plus and it's in green. You know, it's like four lines of code to copy and paste around. Well, you could do like log cycling and stuff with their default logger. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Also, hey, I like this, right, so uh, should, should... Oh, I was gonna say I like the like the background. Today's oh, anime background. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm running out of cyberpunk gifts. Please send me some. Um, <laughs> oh, you heard that, everyone? Blow up at a crowd with cyberpunk gifts. If you have a favorite anime or mango, and uh, mango, yeah, or mango and or mango, and it, you know, you can take a, you can capture a little, a little loop that's totally cyberpunk as fuck. Please do, give us some yeah. original content. I love it. I have, I have a lot of, a lot of old VHS tapes I could pull from. I just get lazy because everything's last second as always. But, <laughs> um. Yeah, we should get like get into the news because we're gonna be doing basically tonight um, just news and try to play with this concept because realizing that we get a lot of guests and tracking down guests and like thinking about guests is like I don't know we don't always have to do that so sometimes it might be cool to just do news sometimes and just have some people who might have been in the news stories that we're sharing um, or in the write-ups so I shared this I'll share it again it's our notes um, anybody in the chat needs this. Boom. Um, yeah, so we had a lot of stuff. We actually did a survey uh, the other day asking people what their favorite part of the notes are and what's the most useful. And I'm thinking that Goodreads and uh, resources and the cheats are everyone's favorite, um, even more so than the news because everybody sees like the big news stories that we might cover, mm -hmm. um, but not everybody sees like some of the smaller write-ups that we'll throw in. Like sometimes it's our friends or somebody that we might just know that doesn't really have a big reach. And so we get a lot of really cool stuff that people send us and we, we notice a lot of stuff too and we aggregate them in a channel in our in our chats and we're able to uh pull them all together at the end of the week and there's a lot of really cool stuff a lot of the times um especially in the the cheats and resources section too um so yeah we actually have author authors of some of the one of our good reads here um the red teamers guide to the post secure ssl vpn which we'll talk to you in a little bit um just a little brief overview of what they they found because they've been working diligently on um, a number of uh, 
of really creative ways to exploit the Pulse uh, secure VPN stuff. So that'll be dope to talk to. I mean, we have a lot of different, like, I mean, some guys, like some people, guys, some people are looking at, uh, you know, like I, I look at mailing lists a lot. And so like, I'll paste those links and then it's a race to see who gets the news in, but everyone's sort of looking all, at all different, their own mm -hmm. aggregate sources as well. So it's really good, be, like having, I guess the crowd, crowdsourcing things. Absolutely. It's actually a lot harder than you guys think. Like a lot of people are like, who's the guest? Where's the guest? What's the news? Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Magic definitely. Happen. It does. Usually we're, we're, we're flying by ringing a prayer. So, <laughs> but if you are somebody who has a write-up that you've done or a resource or a repo you want to share or any exploits or POCs that you've written that you want to share, um, definitely let us know because we can always throw them in here. A lot of people read this. Um, a lot of people download our show notes um, beyond even just watching our stream or listening to our show. Um, so there's a lot of reach. So definitely if you have anything cool, you can always tag us or DM us and we'll take a look at it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's get, let's get into it. Let's see if anybody has anything else to say. No? Okay. <laughs> so the first story we have in here is pretty cool. Uh, not. It's actually really scary to think about if you're Somebody who plans on retiring or anything. Um, from cyber criminals, or oh, this is your, uh, your um, Some cyber criminals, uh, people have stolen $4.2 million from a state trooper's pension fund. Um, so basically, they had owned this um, this financial uh, investment manager who was working for the Oklahoma Law Enforcement Retirement System Agency. And they were able to just uh, siphon money out of their account by uh, compromising their their email, um, which is that's pretty crazy. That there's like a single point of failure like that, where one person can just get hacked and then everybody loses their retirement or pension. Um, yeah. That's like what a lot of people use to like live, you know. <laughs> I, I <laughs> so. think there's a lot of uh, like people who have set up things like a retirement fund, for example the people who it's meant for have started this retirement fund, you know, maybe before the internet even possibly. Mm -hmm. you know? And then they're like, Oh, now email manages it. And then it's like one person and it's like the email that's on like, you know, the XM server that is, uh, is a mm -hmm. EV with the RC root RCV, uh, root CVE RC bug in the show notes. But, uh, yeah, if you do enough recon and find the right person, there's, always that linchpin somewhere yeah, yeah absolutely this is like especially scary because like this is like safety net stuff right like usually like mm -hmm. things get broken there's like a fallback this but this is like this is people's fallback unless like, this is people's, like you know backup plan and like what they're or what they're actually living off of so it's like that's a uh, scary for like that kind of thing right well it's always interesting to, to think about like, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, most of the stuff that we're dealing with, I, I mean, depends on the person, but a, a large number of us are not necessarily working with that kind of like, uh, if this system gets screwed over, you know, people's lives are ruined type thing. And just thinking about that kind of critical system failing is concerning. Um, the problem with government is funding, obviously, too. They're not going to get yeah. exactly talented people who pay attention to this kind of stuff. Um, like, I, I'd interviewed for a State Department, and I was kind of amazed. And at this point, they're like, oh, you want to work, like, four days remote a week? And I'm like, okay, like, how bad is this, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like, all you need to do is like read the news story about the IRS like having to pay Microsoft how much for like to continue supporting XP, like yeah. really yeah. government also, stuff. Like, like when you talk to financial people about, uh, you know, this kind of like about money, financial people want financial problems. They don't want to hear about computers. So if you can get insurance yeah. on the money, like then it's insured who cares if they steal it or whatever it's going to cost us this much for insurance blah 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 money financial solution that's i mean that is a fair yeah but that's like totally not in the vision of like cyber security like we're like right insurance, right, right. insurance is for like when everything fucks up like we'll just protect the money and then you don't like you know you're not going to have to you know get the insurance like, well i mean yeah it's the same deal with like bitcoin versus banks one of the advantages that banks have over bitcoin is if they fail you know or somebody steals all the money there's insurance on a large portion of that yeah, yeah definitely um not to say that we don't love bitcoin or dogcoin and you can donate to us uh the address is something one thugs for bitcoin yeah as you look at uh, if you go to thu.gg um and you go to the you want a thug 2.0 uh link the Bitcoin addresses in there for the uh, fake ransom, <laughs> which, by the way, has still continued to, to serve a lot of laughs and gas for people who just leave that open on their uh, on their desktop at work, just full screen it. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but yo, uh, the next story that we have on here um, is pretty cool. Um, the DMV, uh, I guess, I, I didn't even know about this law. But there's been a number of laws that have been trying to prevent DMVs um, from being able to sell personal data of you, like your license, like data that you can't, like, you have to give to them. They, they, uh, they, uh, there's a lot to sell it. And there's like a couple of different things that have tried to stop it because DMVs have gotten in trouble for selling to like private investigators that are funded by stalkers that are trying to like kill somebody. Um, and other unstable people. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, it's kind of I didn't realize that DMVs could still do that. Yeah, well, right. Might have been muffled at the end there, you. But, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, like, identity documents obviously being super confidential private data. Um, we saw with the Binance um, KYC dump. Um, like a lot of people's, uh, you know, drive photos with them and their driver's license have gotten out. Um, but there's like this really critical um, problem with copies, of, like digital copies of, of physical documents like that. So if you have a single scanned original, like, well, like the original digital digitization of a document, um, and that's worth, say, I don't know, like 50 points or 70 points of identity, and you need, you know, 100 points or something. But then you make a copy of that file and you send that exact file to somewhere else. Is that document now worth less? Because you know it's in the hands of you know seven different places that are going to secure it that it could could potentially be breached and then reused to identify. So it's like, I think I think the thing that's the most concerning is the DMVs have the most current data about you because a scan yeah. of a driver's license could be from any time period. Like I have a scan of John McAfee's license. I I don't know if it's valid still, but there's not it's not as valuable i guess to an attacker as if you call up the dmv that that has the information the most current information about him and ask for that 
you know that's that's a lot more valuable that's 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 what's the most concerning to me is that not that they're like third parties it's this is the first party and it's a government agency that is somehow able to sell your information to whoever asked for it or yeah. whoever has a good enough reason yeah it's a, it's a clone of like the first digitization of it so yeah guys were saying that there's no money in government come on <laughs> i know what are you talking about um no i mean it's frustrating like that money to make the dmv actually work oh yeah i don't think that's what they're going to use it for um yeah no it's always frustrating with stuff like that where you know uh, there's an agency or even an organization that you know people rely upon or are required to use to kind of function in society and they're exploiting that fact um yeah No, absolutely. Um, so speaking of other uh, uh, handing over data to uh, people that you might not want to, this next uh, story here from Forbes um, is pretty interesting where the feds are demanding that Apple and Google hand over names of 10,000 plus users of a gun scope app. So uh, apparently there's this, I didn't even know that this, there's an app that can do this, but there's an app that you can use to calibrate your scope for a gun and the um, Department of Justice is trying to get information about the users of the app and demanding that Google and Apple step in to do it. Because um, obviously they have to go through the developer and Google and Apple aren't necessarily going to have all the information about them. I mean, they might have like who installed it and stuff, but there's probably more detailed information that the actual developer has. And so, um, yeah, I don't know why they would really do this, but it's an interesting question. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things with it. So, like, the app allows you to do, like, to sight in a weapon. It allows you to record uh, taking a shot. Um, and so, basically, it's correlating people who own a specific... Um, because, like, as we saw with uh, the Christchurch stuff, where people are, are live recording, um, you know, the, the firearm usage, this, like, where like where the actual scopes, because the scope is not a weapon, obviously, but it's attached to a weapon and where they're sent out, there's, you know, licensing and regulations about the countries and places they're sent out. So I guess if this scope turned up somewhere in like, you know, Syria or I don't know, Iran or somewhere that um, there's a, a sanction on selling this type of thing, then mm -hmm. I can see why they would want that type of data, but to yeah. blanket grab everybody's data, like, because if you, if you purchase the scope, Okay, if you like from a registered dealer and blah, 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 you obviously have a license and you're a responsible owner or whatever. And I guess they're looking for anything outside of that, but yeah. they're at the same time, just totally breaching the privacy of anyone who legitimately has like taken tests and keeps their license up to date. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things and they wanted like phone numbers and, and details about these people, which doesn't really seem fair um, because you bought you know, some fancy scope off, you know, because it's cool or whatever you're into, yeah. and, you know, you want a, dig a digital way to sight in, you know, the weapon that you go hunting with or the use for sporting or whatever that has nothing to do with any malicious act. Yeah. The thing about this that really got me is first of all, like 10,000 users on an app, it's like a very small number. And it's like, I wonder, I almost have to wonder how this showed up on, uh, you know, our, the feds radar in the first place 
um the other thing is right like people who have these are going to be more technologically sound like probably more technologically savvy probably you know use other internet stuff and like the amount of information you can get from that that allows you to trace these people's footprints to other places is probably like pretty high uh and so this sounds like kind of the right the like surveillance kind of uh thing it's like just targeting people who who own weapons uh in a way yeah it's it's a roundabout way though because the direct way is like people who purchase weapons but this is not a weapon it's a scope and they're not tracking the scope they're tracking the app to track the scope to find the people who own weapons which it's it's a very roundabout invasive way to uh you know to loophole their way into tracking it i don't know well, and maybe they're not just looking to collect names either. Maybe it's just a first step in them getting more data or like audio or what, video and photographs of people who are, you know, ghost gunners and dialing in on those individuals. Yeah. Or the other thing I was thinking about is like a lot of people have uh, like modified weapons, right? Like obviously someone's firing like an automatic weapon in a place where automatic weapons aren't allowed, right? There's GPS that you can tie to like that kind of stuff too. But they can't actually, so that the, from what I understand, the app just saves the video um, to the device, to like a phone or something. It doesn't, or like, I think a laptop maybe, I don't know. Um, so it does, but it just has the app installed. It doesn't actually allow them to get access to the recordings, which could be, you know, shooting watermelons or, you know, jugs of milk, I don't know, whatever. Uh, okay, I feel, but, I see. Yeah. So it's kind of, I don't know. It's sketchy at best. Like, I don't think, I think Apple, or I hope that Apple and Google will fight it because it's not really their domain to like sort of, you know, since when an Apple have Apple and Google been involved with like ITAR licensing? Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like, it's like a backdoor that they've tried to try to pull. Yeah. Um, so speaking of big companies' data, I don't know. Um, this huge database of Facebook users' uh, phone numbers is found. I want to find more information about this. Did anybody actually see this database in the wild? So I did not see the database, uh, but I was talking to the person who uh, found that information uh-huh. over a channel that we're in. Uh, and it's interesting. Um, I, I don't really know that much about it. Um, but it seems unfortunate. I don't think there was anything other than um, phone number, birthday. Um, actually, no, there was quite a bit of information. I think it was mostly scraped public information was mm-hmm. my understanding of that. Yeah. So that's what they had said on, on here is that, that they had said that it was from it was over a, a year old. Um, and a lot of it is older because that's when Facebook started restricting access to that information to their their APIs, um, but it's still there. I mean, this kind of data sources are out there. Like there's tons of giant databases of just random scraped stuff that somebody might've tried or some company might've tried to sell and they just sit there just randomly like in the middle of, you know, something yeah. you know what's, what's horrible about this though, is you could nuke Facebook right now. Like you could just like, you know, thermite every disk, like all the backups and this mm-hmm. data is still out there and relevant. Yeah, you're never erasing those records, basically. Uh, yeah. And I think the other thing is like, um, you know, there was a, an event like this with GitHub a little while ago, uh, where somebody went through and scraped all that information. And I think that 
you know, people were basically saying, no, you know, it's public information. Well, so for Facebook, it's slightly different, but regardless, it takes a lot of time to aggregate, scrape that information and to build that database. And so you're basically just making it a lot easier for people who are not very, who don't have the expertise or the time or the resources to do that, to, uh, you know, spam or scam people or, you know, fish them. I wonder if, uh, like, it's obviously always cat and mouse or this kind of thing, but I wonder what kind of behavioral analysis could have been in place to watch for scraping across Facebook's cluster that serves these APIs. I mean, obviously, after the fact, hindsight, 2020, we could say all the yeah. but Yeah, you I think, think that, that would be kind of simple. Well, it, it, it's simple until you look at the distribution of that kind of thing, right? You can, you can approach it from you know, 10,000 IP addresses and scrape slowly and make it look fairly. Uh, yeah, that's I just like you do with Cordana. I mean, you can yeah, also use that, like, you know, you could have a Chrome plugin or something that you entice a million delicious. people to install that feeds it back slowly, yeah. just natural browsing, you know, like an ad block. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that the other thing is like, uh, with this type of thing, one of the things they could have done to reduce the amount of abuse or, or uh, poison the data is if they had, you know, fake users return from that API. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that that API should never exist in the first place. So, yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's the thing is it's hard to, I feel like it's, it's, it's hard to do the sort of retro on this kind of thing because a lot of it was already sketchy and it's been coming out as sketchy. And so a lot of this stuff is just like, sort of like, what's a quick way that we can expose X, Y, and Z to third parties who want to pay us extra money for this. Oh, it's yeah. like, it's just, it's because it's sketchy, it's not going to be like as properly logged or as properly audited in the way that other applications with APIs like this would use. That's where a lot of these random weird issues that come in are like, why was this even open? Like, why could anybody even scrape this? Like, oh, yeah. Well, a lot of the plain text file. A lot of this is like the there's a Snapchat database that came out a while back with the same kind of stuff, right? But it's because like it ties in so well, like to their like their business model, right? Which is get more people right. on, get more people connected. So that allows you to import your phone book, and then all of the numbers in your phone book are related, you know, relate to. Yeah users and whatnot and so it's like they uh they have a like a fiscal incentive to have these kind of things public facing uh which you know presents a problem because you know like a legitimate user might be doing these like 200 at a time these you know these lookups uh, yeah yeah right like when you upload your contacts if you do that uh, right, you're looking up a giant number of these. So even like looking up things in bulk, uh, like wouldn't flag this. So it's kind of, it's one of those interesting things. Um, I mean, that same thing applies, not just to like Snapchat, but you know, uh, Telegram or like when it looks up your phone contacts or like Signal, yeah. you know, wire, whatever, whatever thing that looks at your contacts, looks at your contacts, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, for, for a while, Facebook, I think it probably still does. Facebook Messenger would just grab your entire contact list and a bunch of phone uh, records and just pop them up. Um, I love it when they ask and they say, do you want to import your contact list? I'm like, hell no. Well, yeah. Even like Keybase like recently did that. Yeah, yep. It's like there's people that you contact, like, I don't know, say a real estate agent or someone like, you're not friends with them. You don't want to talk. <laughs> you don't want to spend any more time with this person than you have to. It's purely business relationships. Like I don't want to add them to you know, social media. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, the, the real thing here is uh, Facebook having this information in the first place was probably not the greatest idea. You know, they have probably more information than they needed to have available in that API. But then the other thing is also like the fact that somebody scraped all of this information and just kind of left it hanging out there is a bit of an interesting thing. Is that uh, is this Mongo though? This uh, database? I don't know if they. I think it was Elastic. Let me uh, let me. Uh, I don't know if the article says. I mean, it, it could have been built by the attacker. Or it could have come out that naturally that way, but I, I'm barely certain it, it was Elastic. Um, oh yeah. Was it? Yeah. I mean, also you see like a lot of these lists that come up uh, a lot. Right, like if you look at the "Have I Been Pwned" uh, copyright TM Jetski Incorporated, uh, like uh, lists, right? There's a lot of like what they call spam lists on there, which yeah. aren't aren't really you know breaches as much as someone found some dumb dumb shit that was attached to the internet uh, with you know 500 million people's address, phone yeah. number uh facebook likes etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's like this kind of stuff is it's definitely already been out there so it's like uh i would say the impact it's weird that the impact of this is so like low at this point it seems because so much of it's already been leaked so many other places yeah uh, i think that also just like the the value of uh associating somebody's name their gender their country their location their phone number you know Alone, those pieces of information are not necessarily that valuable, but when you associate those pieces of information with one another, they can be quite a bit. Uh, I think the main takeaway from all this is uh, if you don't have social media or you have kids who don't yet have social media, then uh, maybe educate them a little and be like, look at the mistakes humanity made before you um, can try yeah. and you know, make smarter decisions. That's really hard to do, especially in the the integration of social media into society now. But there's got to be some kind of pushback against just like handing over everything you have. Yeah, and the the problem is that as long as uh, websites and social media like are like I said financially motivated to pry all the information they can from you, they're going to keep doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this is one of those things that like the, the really the only way to fully fix this problem is to introduce some sort of legislation around it. Like there's certain things like that where sure everybody could stop using Facebook, but that's a pretty drastic thing to get, like try to get people to do that and it's, it's a losing battle. <laughs> it's also too late for those people who are using Facebook. Like moving off it is a good move, but like, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't fix the problems that already exist. Now. Right, your information is still out there. Yeah. So, What's next? Uh, next one, pretty cool. Uh, this uh, four, uh, 47 super microservers are exposing their uh, BMC ports to the internet. Um, so people had found some research, or there's some research that came out uh, last week um, where they had found some vulns in the BMC firmware and that was cause for alarm because there are between 47,000 and 55,000 Supermicro BMCs exposed online. So BMCs are things, or they plug in for, um, what's it called? Remote management for switches and other uh, important gear. And so there like are vulnerabilities. 
Like mm-hmm. think, think about like the easiest way to think about BMC is if you're familiar with ILO or anything like that, it's an mm-hmm. extra network card that card that's a system on a chip that controls the motherboard in this, in, in this instance where we're talking about BMC. So you turn the machine yeah, yeah. on and off, you can mount storage. It's a full, usually a, a, like a, a cut down like Linux or Minix system. And you can, yeah, you can do all kinds of uh, provisioning to the hardware when mm-hmm. the device is off on a separate network. So the fact they're on the internet is absolutely insane. These should be on closed networks. Yeah, absolutely. But then the, the thing is that four vulnerabilities came out about it, including plaintext auth, unencrypted network traffic, weak encryption, and auth bypass. Um, so the Supermicro is pretty cool too. What? Supermicro actually, uh, so if you uh, create a VNC session, it uses a Java client um, and uh, it creates a token and the token's like eight characters long and that's actually the VNC password. Um, and that'll give you the console <laughs> access. Then so this- it runs mm-hmm. Dropbear as well. So like yeah. it's, I think it's Dropbear with a 1024-bit uh, key. So that's not that hard either in the scheme of things um but yeah lots of fun stuff oh sorry i was muted um (laughs) the auth bypass is pretty interesting too um because basically the state of authentication is linked to the client's uh file descriptor so if you're able to make a bunch of connections um you basically will luck out and eventually get the file descriptor of an authenticated client and then you'll just be authenticated. Nice. Um, which so is like, is actually, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's actually an interesting pivot point as well, because if you have bare metal running like a uh, Windows, for example, um, and you have BMC and then you have access, now you can mount, like remotely mount stuff over the network. Um, and then you can move between other bmcs on that network and i mean hopefully it doesn't cross over to the actual network but yeah um it's all very sketchy and yeah absolutely it it seems like just some sort of weirdo java application that is doing this well that's yeah the client for supermicro is a is a weird java like so one of the ones that i've played with is uh still signed with md5 so you actually need to run a separate old java client like old java jvm uh, in order to even run the client. So it should give you an idea of like the age and maintain. I wonder if you could collide those hashes and still make it like a valid jar file or whatever. I hope so. It definitely could. I very but, much hope so. I mean, I think that's the least of their worries with, with, with the uh, other. Yeah, computer. definitely. Yeah. And you just attach to the internet. But I mean, you can try. Um. Yeah, so IPMI <laughs> also allows you to send like power off reboot. Um, shut down like just all the standard stuff that you would like if you can think if you're not familiar with it and you think about like a vm you know you've got the options to send those uh like power commands like ipmi will accept those and if you mm-hmm. want to play with them and you don't have a bmc to play with or ipmi to play with there's uh it's called ipmi fence is the package and it's like a there's a dummy ipmi that you can you can mess around with to see what it actually does and then plug it into qmu so you can pretend like you have a server that has it yeah. Oh, i um, And also, if you don't have one to play with, there's 47,000 uh, on the internet. <laughs> um, yo, so yeah. let's talk about this uh, next story and then let's cut it over to uh, Alyssa and Desi to talk about um, Pulse stuff. 
Um, so the, the next story that we have on the list here, uh, 600,000 GPS trackers left exposed online with a default password of one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, nice. So shoot, how did they the GPS the trackers, um, they were manufactured uh, by a Chinese company um, and Avast had, had put some research out uh, where all these different models of GPS trackers all just use this, uh, this password here. And so this is similar in a way to that, um, the GPS trackers that we had researched before, um, MG, Mitch, me, and a couple others were looking at these weird GPS trackers that all tied into some sketchy backend and you could just authenticate to them and, or not authenticate them, you could just access the, the pages for each one of them. Um, it's similar though, where people get sold these things that have unknown backends that anybody can just authenticate to and, and just have a marauder's map of GPS trackers all over the world. Um, it's pretty yeah. freaky. Yeah, this is like, oh God, there have been so many GPS trackers that have like been hit with the same sort of stuff lately too, right? Like yep. the last one uh, was like the fit, like the fitness things, which are I mean mm-hmm. GPS oh, trackers yeah. with with extra steps, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's like uh, same thing. It's like oh, like where's has this thing been to uh, any like secure government facility? Oh, then it's yeah. uh, <laughs> boy, yeah, well, yeah, a single point of GPS by itself is actually generally not that valuable. But if you have it over time or you have information associated with it, like it's interesting, that kind of thing from context adds a lot of value. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's what sucks is that there's just all these really, really crappy um, commercial grade products that get put out there and people buy them because they see them on like Wish or Alibaba. <laughs> And it's like two dollars, and you're like, oh, two dollars, and I can track my spouse wherever she's going. Um, but it turns out that just China is spying on you, like as <laughs> usual, from another factor. Like it, just, it sucks that like that that all the shittiest things that people can do are usually supplied by terrible, terrible security software. Same with um, all the spouseware apps and things like that. Like the, all, everything is just yeah. It's always, there's always something. There's always some like default password somewhere that some random person just can find and do whatever with it. Luckily somebody uh, actually reported it because who knows who's been actually looking at this kind of information and aggregating it. My favorite thing was someone this week posted that like 2% of all passwords in uh, across like these like databases have been one, two, three, four, five, six. So uh, it is, it is funny. uh, Like, so, you know, when you get, like, if you're going somewhere remote and people take GPS trackers just to like check in to know they're safe. It's like the same mm-hmm. thing, but in a piece of hardware. That's like, yeah. oh, well, the one that's like everyone recommends is like $400, but I can get this one for like $25. And it does exactly the same thing. It's like, yeah, but your GPS, like your check-ins are now getting sent to China. Um, yeah. <laughs> like you know, where, where you've tracked through the wilderness today is all on record in China and who knows how it's protected. Like so a, a lot of these boards too, a lot of the GPS trackers boards, what they do, what they have on them, they're they're just repurposed, like very very low budget smartphone chips, and so they'll have they need to have a GPRS modem, and they need to have something that has a GPS tracking on it and some interface for it to put, you know, send data to. So they're usually very very like stripped down, like like um, like mobile like OS, um, that would be on, 
it's like it's much easier to to do that than to R and D your own um, board like that. So people use like MediaTek chips, the MediaTek like RT twenty six somethings. I forget what they are. Are are using a ton of them um, because they're easy to use, but they're also easy to attach a microphone to as well, <laughs> which is also really scary. Uh, the the fact that everything has an app frustrates me. Like mm -hmm. a GPS tracker. Why do you need an app for that? Like, it seems like you could do it either by a, a web web application or like there, there's other ways that you could do that that would be better. I'm surprised that you need to log into a GPS. Yeah. yeah. There was I mean, uh, there's... a project I worked on that was tracking vehicles, like fleet, fleet tracking stuff, and there's a thing in the car and blah, blah, blah. And it was on a closed APN GPRS network. Um, but basically everything over it was like MQTT, clear text, blah, 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 blah. Like it wasn't sensitive data or anything. Um, I, yeah. I mean, like the targeting fleet for some reason that was in the middle of like nowhere. Um, but yeah, and it, it suited the purpose for what they were doing. But if you were, you know, if that same product was applied in any other scenario, that would be absolutely horrible. And it, it sort of takes a little bit of figuring out to know whether that is or is not the right uh to deploy yeah no it's just crazy and i, I just so i implore people to not uh use these kinds of things no matter how cheap they are um because yeah it's it's very very it's it's never going to be good Is <laughs> all i can say with any of these sketchy sort of apps so but if you are going to use GPS tracker, use the ThugFred branded two dollar yeah, GPS tracker. GPS tracker. Yeah. If you want to be protected from GPS tracking, then you can use the Dollar VPN Club. <laughs> so yeah. speaking of VPNs, hey, um, Alyssa and Desi, are you guys still here? Yeah, we're yeah. still here. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Um, yeah. Yo, so, um, I want to take a little break from the news to to discuss um, what. You, all I've been working on because I've been I've been looking at it. Um, both of you've been tweeting out your progress on various aspects of exploiting uh, Pulse VPNs. Um, you want to uh, I guess tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, I guess props first. Uh, I mean, Orange and Med did really good work with like this research. So uh, just moving off this, there's a whole bunch of different stuff that we figured out like what you can do with this. Honestly, Alyssa. <laughs> She's the one who got me interested, so. <laughs> well, do you guys yeah. want to, I guess, um, talk a little bit about what the VPN is and uh, the, the history of the VOMS and your exploit development? And a little bit about who you are, too. Like. Oh, yeah, that, too. <laughs> <laughs> she can go first. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, Jesse, go ahead. Fine. So yeah. I'm a red teamer based out of Houston. I get bored as well. Not sure if I could say that, but... <laughs> I get bored well, a lot. Yes, you can say it. Yeah, I get bored as fuck. <laughs> so it's, I mean, this VPN is used in a whole bunch of different places. I mean, it's, let's see, we found it in DOD, um, I think it was Department of State too, Army, uh, where else? Banks, universities. Hospitals um, and yep. government contractors that we can't name. <laughs> Uh, insurance companies and things like that too and it's i mean it's it's a vpn that allows you to do a whole bunch of different stuff like looking at the options or anything you can literally set up like vmware sessions with it you can do remote desktops 
So like virtual desktops that you can log into or a whole bunch of different stuff for like thin clients and crap. Or, you know, of course, regular VPN shit. But the issue is it's like, it's for the most part, there's a few things that are secure, but it's like after one issue, you just branch off to multiple others and just snowballs. <laughs> So, yeah, absolutely. But so, um, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, the Voln chain that you are using? Because I, I saw on Twitter various uh, screenshots and, and little gifts of of what you were working on. But do you want to describe to people what your the process of of I guess chaining together different vulnerabilities and what they were throughout the process? What's up? <laughs> I mean, if I talk the, a bit more or less the exploit chain started off with basically the fact that you can arbitrarily download. Oh, audio count? Or is it just me? I think I'll put it. Hello there? Are you there? Hello? No, I can go ahead and discuss it then. Okay. So, so essentially, the arbitrary file download and uh, inclusion, uh, which mm -hmm. is the 510. Um, you can basically download any system file on like the VPN server itself. Yeah. And due to some godforsaken reason, they decided to steer to store creds and plain text hashes and a whole bunch of different stuff like session IDs yep. in a binary file. So you can literally take that and then get logged into the admin dashboard. So let's say you have admin access. Well, part of the built-in functionality of it is startup scripts. You know, like some companies want to actually be able to mount like shares and stuff whenever you log into the VPN for remote work. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's like they'll set a batch script to you know to run or a uh, you know Linux uh, bash script or something for OSX. I think it's not a bash script, but <laughs> oh, her internet cut out. <laughs> Message me. Um, but you, you can basically use the functionality of that and take it from there. So it's like, let's say, you know, you like in our demonstration, we use Cobalt Strike. I literally just set up a PowerShell payload just for testing and threw an SMB server on the internet. <laughs> and the thing is, it doesn't, you don't have to have it on the same network, to be honest. Oh, hey, throw this IP in there. It's going to connect out to it and download the file next to it. So oh, yeah. you know, there's numerous vectors for like injection and crap. Go ahead. Wait, hello, sorry, I think you might have cut out a little tiny bit. Oops. Mm -hmm. Did I cut out? No, I think I, I may have personally oh, okay. when I was but Alyssa just got back into the room. Yeah. Yeah. Are you there? Sure. Yeah. But, so what were you going to say? Um, oh, um, so you were able to download files. And now with what were you using, I guess, or how were you um, getting, I guess, the code execution with this? So client-side code execution, we just used the functionality that was built into it, um, like batch scripts and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So like I just used a batch script and then basically uh, threw PowerShell in it. <laughs> But you can okay. use anything like WMIExec or, um, you know, MSHTA, you know, numerous tools like any red teamer can come up with. It's like, okay, hey, I'm just going to use this, download an XML file, compile it, 
and you know execute code or because like I'm in my testing I use Silent Trinity as well uh, as well as like Trevor C2 because Trevor um so I mean anything you you know any command you can run on Windows you could just throw a bat script put it on an SMB server and modify the session start and just can download that so then anyone who connects to the VPN is going to have that code executed and they're not going to notice I mean it's just a CMD prompt that pops up and goes away like yeah pretty quick so I mean it looks none the, you know they're none the wiser because usually it does that anyway because like let's say you know it's mounting the CMD shares or something so that's a client side execution um you want to talk about the uh Code execution on the uh, VPN itself, Lisa. Um, sure. Uh, so on the so with full secure on the Ministry of Panel, you have this option to run diagnostic through a TCP dump. Um, essentially, we were essentially the vulnerability was focused on the fact that you can inject your own commands in that. And I think Desi could explain more of how this how it more specifically works, um, Desi. Yeah, <laughs> um, I did have to get a little bit of help with the login logic. Um, do you mind if I actually post the GitHub link in the Twitch chat? No, go for it. So that way, if anyone wants to look at it, um, essentially, it's so the command execution actually lies in how it processes Perl, because you can literally just face roll on a keyboard and spell Perl. So the way the code execution actually works is they're taking um, standard error and, and basically putting that out to a template file. Um, because setcookie.cgi reads from a template file and then executes it. So essentially you are taking standard out, commenting off the actual error part and your file name is actually the code that gets executed due to that's the- That's really cool. Yeah, no, Orange, whenever he figured it out and I read it, I was like, wait, that's, that's genius because Perl, because literally, you're taking standard error from you know Linux command, like like let's say say you try to execute a file and this doesn't exist or something. So say basically command file name colon does not exist, and essentially you're commenting out that out, that out with the pounds line. So it just literally it's just a go to at that point. It's command colon and then this. So essentially what you're doing is you're creating a go to label in Perl, and then you're actually executing that with a system call in Perl. So the file name you set gets executed as, you know, by the Perl itself. So whenever you're actually outputting the standard error to the file, you have to actually query uh, the setcookie.cgi. So the way the export works is it's literally, we're sending multiple things. And um, what's his name? Uh, I think it's Rich Warren from NCC. I saw, we saw a video and we realized that he was installing, you know, um, drop error, that's the statement. And you know, like I was thinking to myself, you know, what if I can modify the SSH configuration files? So I was talking to one of our friends who, you know, helped us do the research on the exploits and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, we basically figured out, hey, you could literally just overwrite the existing authorized key file and the SSH config, and then just send a sig up to SSHD and kill it. And well, not really kill it, but restart it, and it would load the SSH config. So we literally send a command to open the ports, the internet, download the configs, overwrote them, and restart SSH. And you could just log in as SSH, I can log in as root over SSH without having to pass. So That's really I, cool. 
I've seen people do something similar with Redis for overwriting the cron tests. That's actually somewhat how I got the idea. It's because I was thinking, you know, I could technically do this because all the command execution is running as root, really. So anything you do is run as root, even though you can't really see it's running as root. Because for some reason they don't have ID or who am I installed in the box. So we, yeah. it's it was confusing. I was like, wait, is this running as root? Is it not? And the thing is, like, it's like, okay, you can get Etsy password, right? But there's no Etsy shadow. So it's like, whenever I try to get it the first time, I was like, wait, I guess I'm not rude because I can't get this. Anyone can get the you know, Etsy password. And then I looked at the boss as well. I was like, oh, there's no Etsy shadow. Okay, so I am running as root. I could just download anything I want. So got the idea, okay, you know, download files, make backups, copy over, overwrite, restart SSH. Did that, it worked, first try. And then, of course, subsequent testing, it just keeps adding IP tables roles because there's no logic in it. But it's it was a little bit interesting to make this exploit because the way they handle like uh, CSERF as well as like the actual payload, like in that code, I had to literally get the URL and build a cookie out of like a hex encoded URL, which was interesting because they actually use that and um, a few other things like the XOP token, which is the cross CSERF, and then the DS launch cookie, which is essentially. Uh, trying to think of what exactly it is, but it's a hex encoded thing. And it needs that to actually execute the code for some reason, which I have no idea why. But I had to do that, get the cookie. And I mean, Rich Warren from NCC actually helped with the logic to get that. And I was like, okay, I can figure this out and throw that in there. So essentially you can just own the box by sending HTTP requests, which is insane to be honest. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really cool um, little insight into the actual process of discovery and how to actually chain exploits together to do something like that. Because that's that's really cool and it's very widely used. So interesting to see the uh, outcome. Honestly, I think there's still like five thousand or so still vulnerable. I think um, bad packets has been checking on. I actually don't know the current number right now, but. Basically, I mean, in fact, we actually got wind that, like, I hate this term so fucking much, but APTs in China <laughs> were yes. actually exploiting this shit. And I was like, you know, I wonder if they're using our code. So, yeah, probably. They probably, probably. are. Yeah. I'm not uh, doubting it. <laughs> oh, Desi, there's, only, there's about 9,000 um, still vulnerable to it. That pack just recently tweeted out, like, how many are left. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, it gets scary when you start to see. Wait, what? If I was APT in China, then yeah, I'd be using it. Anything oh, yeah. you can hand on, right? You get, I mean, APT. Yeah, you get paid money to, to yeet exploits at, at boxes, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Might as well. Basically. Ooh. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. glad I was following that. The saga of it and you know finally the the write-up came out and then i was like oh it's time to uh throw it into our notes and i'm like wait i'm just dm you guys and say hey come on i'm, so, I'm actually we're actually looking at the next one um the buffer overflow um give me kind of how to top what ncc i did that i don't know if they're gonna release the code so we might have the buffer overflow for pulse secure as well i'll just drop it on github as well make a mass plate module out of it that's sick that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, some real, real dope work. 
it's just boredom, really. <laughs> yeah, basically. Just like yeah, where fuck it. this comes from. People just up like, oh, I'm procrastinating here. We just write an exploit. Speaking of procrastinating, we um Alyssa flew down here and we were just procrastinating the whole time. It's like the last day she was here, we I just threw everything together. I was like, okay, it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, thanks for stopping by, and um, you can feel free to uh, stay for the rest of the show, and you know we'll uh, chat after too about other Sweet. stuff. Um, so yeah, um, beautiful. So yeah, if anybody wants to check it out, I posted their Twitters and the GitHub is in the chat as well. If anybody wants to hit them up or uh, use the code themselves um, to test their own work environment. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, next news story that we have here um, is pretty interesting. This ransomware gang had uh, ransomware a city, and they they asked for five point three million dollars, and the city luckily was able to just back up or restore from backups, but they had they had tried to give four hundred thousand dollars to the gang, and they were like no, and they ended up just rejecting the offer and uh, restoring themselves, but. $5.3 million is a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Right, wait, wait. This is like a straight up like negotiation tactic. If you're trying to get a new job and you go into the interview, you don't want to go too high, but you know, the, the other yeah, parties are going to go up. You start high, you go down, take the 400 grand and let them get them for backups anyway. Yeah, yeah. seriously. I mean, don't do crime. The mistake like, there was... The mistake there was saying no to the 400,000. You're not going to get 5.3 million. I mean, even from a city, like even for a, a relatively large city, still paying that much out to a ransom is ridiculous. Yeah, I think like, whoever, whoever uh, asks for the ransom doesn't understand like the bureaucratic nightmare. Well, and it's like uh, city governments uh, exist like, in. <laughs> if you had somebody's wife and you were holding them ransom, you probably still would not be able to get 4.3 million or, you know, however much it was. Like <laughs> well, the, the highest that's been paid is a million. That's like the record, you know? So they're going for over five times the current record from a random like city with, it's not like a major city. It's just a, like a, a city by virtue of the population. Yeah, I mean, like if you had like <laughs> the city of New York or something, then maybe. Yeah. Wait, do you think if you uh if you if you were ransoming Trump's wife that he would just um, pay it, or do you think you'd get a new one? <laughs> yeah, the insurance will cover that one. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a terrorist attack. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's definitely interesting though. Um, ransomware people just getting greedy and losing out on money. I mean, I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> agree to pay. Like you know, in that situation. They probably it's it's risky to pay a ransom regardless. Absolutely, pay it and then they wipe your boxes anyway. Lol. Like we've seen. Um, I think one of the yeah one of the things is that there is this guy uh, the Dark Overlord who who is actually relatively good at restoring data after after ransoms and he hit a bunch of those kind of high profile targets. But mm -hmm. in the vast majority of this kind of case, they they may not even have that data, especially if it's like a worm there's a pretty good chance they didn't make a backup just because it's, it takes a lot of effort to capture people's data and store it and, you know, give it back to them when they pay the ransom. Right? Yeah. Like if you're hitting you know, hundred thousand boxes. Yeah. Like you could just wipe it and you'll still get probably the same rough percentage of people paying ransom. 
There was a dude a, a couple of years ago. He was uh, saying that he could unlock any ransomware, and like he would charge like on, like a couple of grand over what the ransom being asked was. But come to find out, he was just paying the ransom off and pocketing that extra money. Oh, oh, that's a really I good mean, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They said yeah. it wasn't illegal, that it was just, like, ethically fucked up, so they, uh, they like, outed him and wrote, like, a big article about it. I'll try and find it real quick. Yeah, and I, we had that in the notes yeah. one time. There's there's companies, there's a couple companies that have been doing that in general, but, yeah, there's, like, one-off people like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, unlock it for this price. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think the, the main takeaway here is that uh, it behooves you to have some sort of business skill or, like... Uh, knowledge of your targets right when you're if you are to attack someone yeah. uh like very obviously like whoever this is missed out on a lot of money by just not understanding like uh basic negotiation tactics and like kind of what the city had or might not have had yeah um, and it's it's i mean it goes back to right like soft skills are important no matter what you're doing uh whether it's if, crime yeah crime just general job stuff uh this what? is one of those things where where yeah whoever it was uh could have probably lived pretty comfortably if they had only uh taken some bit... time to to learn the soft skills here yeah i find it weird that they would have asked for that much in the first place i mean like unless the city's their only target you know, 400 grand is a lot for a single, like, you know, a single entity to get it's just, it's just, and, like, like it, it, unless they're, that's their only target, then, you know, they're still making a shitload of money off of it. Yeah. Absolutely. You, know, you hit like 10 or 15 organizations and get a couple hundred grand each. That's, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I mean, also the, city has a population of uh, 95,000 people. So you think about how much that is like it's not, from, it's not, it's e- from like, each person, like, right? Like, like a, a single main what? street town, most likely. That, say 9,500 yeah. or 95,000? 95,000 people. That's... Oh, okay. So that's a little bit larger. 53 yeah. and a half bucks per person. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, excuse me? <laughs> Do they spend that much on like clean drinking water or... Yeah, exactly, right? Like, uh, we could have clean drinking water or we could ran- <laughs> like pay this ransom. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to the next one real quick. Yeah, the next one's pretty interesting. Um, so, yeah, we've had a lot of news come out about Hong Kong in general. Everybody's been watching the situation. Um, but the two the next two stories we have here deal with what the government in China is trying to do um, and how people are reacting to it. So Hong Kong protesters um, have been using mesh networks um, in, in just in case there is a uh, internet shutdown. There's already been a lot of things being shut down. It's the next story we can discuss as well. But um, yeah, it's interesting that they're trying to figure out other ways to use peer-to-peer networks to um, you know disseminate information because. You know, as long as a phone has that, there's no way unless you have rooted every phone, which I don't doubt that there's a capability of that being that's that's the capability of the Chinese government. But um, for the time being, that is something that is very versatile for people who are in densely populated city centers who are trying to quickly send information to each other, um, which I think is uh, an interesting tactic to to fight. I mean, this reminds me straight up of uh, the Nails Net. 
like, I don't know, you know, like Whitey Crack is introducing yeah. the story of building a uh, mesh of smart devices to circumvent, you know, the government internet. Yeah. yeah. Listen to the story. It's pretty sweet. But uh, this is the first thing I thought I was like, yeah, that's pretty damn cool. Like that people are getting together because people have built mesh networks in a lot of cities that are just sort of like point to point wireless and, you know, you can get onto this network. But this is just like people with the device in their pocket linking to the person next to them, you know? And you build that big enough and you'll have enough exits to the internet that's going to be, you know, maybe after you're out through tour somewhere and imagine all those people going out through one exit node, but um, it's possible. Like, it's a very interesting thing to think about people like actively participating in. Yeah. Just seeing the Hong Kong protests going on, the, uh, the level of creativity of people, like, you know, using laser pointers to you know, make it hard to shoot, hard to aim the gas bombs, right? That kind of stuff is just really impressive to see, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, you see the kind of mob mentality happening sometimes. Uh, yeah. You see people using all of their heads together to figure out techniques to do stuff, so. Yeah. No. no was uh, like someone said it's some of the stuff they're they're writing or not writing but they're doing uh yeah it's some real real heads up stuff some people coming out of the woodwork uh, uh reminds me of like uh anarchist cookbook type like version two type yeah. stuff mm -hmm. um the and the next story that we have on here is in the same vein um is this uh private internet access vpn has been blocked in, in Hong Kong now, um, where, so people who, um, who, don't, who aren't familiar with it, um, like there's the, the Great Firewall of China, where there's a lot of um, censorship and blocking of, of various services. But Hong Kong, it didn't have that level of surveillance and um, control. And so now um, this whole little article is about basically the Chinese government using um, their reach with the Great Firewall of China to um, basically do the same things they would do in mainland China and Hong Kong, which had previously been independent. So this is just kind of more of the encroaching um, levels of control that they're trying to, to put on the people in Hong Kong um, because, yeah, previously people were able to just use VPNs, um, slowly just pulling these sort of things out. I mean, there's also been, you know, reports of services being DDoSed by China um, to prevent protesters from doing stuff. Um, so there's a lot of just really sketchy shit happening, which is very important to keep an eye on. Yeah, I haven't... Oh. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say that uh, I haven't seen any stories about PGP hijacks in the last few days uh, from out of China, uh, but it'd be interesting to see uh, what's been going on in that, in that area. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've seen trying to do in the past is just like they have all of these devices, all of this bandwidth from the Great Firewall. Like they don't even really need to to censor stuff. They don't even need the PPP, you know, to screw with it. They can just eat off the hell out of it and shut stuff down. But, uh, like so, the, but there's companies like um, Packnet Pacific Internet, who's owned by now by an Australian provider, and like. A lot of their infrastructure is in Hong Kong, which again, like not behind the firewall or anything. Um, like that was a, a, a strange acquisition. It actually came owned, like the whole network was owned apparently when it uh, got handed over. But um, 
but yeah, it's interesting that uh, the Chinese mainland trying to push, like, I'm not sure what percentage of the overall infrastructure they own in order to enforce this stuff. Um, and that might be where tactics come into it. You know, like a, a, a Chinese primary school just happens to have a huge pipe DDoSing the shit out of like other pipes. <laughs> exactly. Um, Oh, and shout-outs to uh, Upgrade Solution for subscribing. Thanks. Upgrade's always big follow-up. Shout-out, man. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, I'm interested in seeing what else comes out of China. I don't have too much confidence in the situation, though. It's just, I don't know what could possibly happen, though. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's going to probably get kind of ugly because, like, I mean, it already has, but... You have a, a government that is very authoritarian in nature and has had a history of being pretty violent towards protesters. And they are trying to push their control over this country that has a crap load of people out in the streets trying to protest this. So I don't know. I think it's just going to keep getting worse and be really weird and interesting to see how that resolves. Well, yeah. What was, uh, what was MG's comment? You something like, um, like be the dystopian cyberpunk future that you want to, be, <laughs> you want to see in the world. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. China's really ticking a lot of the boxes there. In terms of, yeah, like while it's so cool yeah. and the techniques and technologies they're pushing out there, it's kind of still pretty scary. It's not. Oh, it's yeah. not like a movie or a TV show. It's like this is people's literal reality, like an entire country's reality. Black <laughs> so, Mirror is yeah. like a, like a television stream yeah it's not meant to be a guideline right like <laughs> yeah that's the, thing, like, but that's the whole thing with dystopian fiction right is it's meant to be precautionary or meant to be commentary on something that's going on it's not meant to be like this is how you control the people <laughs> it's like the exact opposite of the idea for sure yeah i mean i i don't see any future <laughs> any future that is not dystopian to be honest um, well, I mean, the question is, are we already there? Right? Like, it's, a, it's not yeah, something that happens immediately. It's something that slowly creeps in. You know, dystopia is a silent thing. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I like I, I, I'm definitely not uh, like I'm hopeful for the future, but I'm also uh, <laughs> a little. We're in a rough, rough patch right now, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, this yeah. is a rough part of the future. Yeah. The thing is, right, like especially like with the Hong Kong China solution, or like situation uh china has a lot of money that like to be made right by controlling the like the area uh and it's controlling like u.s bonds yeah yeah right there's so much leverage like both politically and financially to be like squeezed out of this area that it came to the point where someone was like okay well it's now worth it to just you know sneak in over here uh yeah, i mean China has so much much geopolitical power, like they have so much in trade influence that, you know, they're on the UN Security Council, they, they can basically do whatever they want to and other countries are not going to step in. Yeah, so that's the South China Sea incident where China claimed a bunch of islands um, and basically they were like, no, they're ours, there's a bit of dispute. They said, oh, we'll, we'll go to the UN then. And they did. And UN said, no, China, you don't own them. They're like, well, yeah, we do. And then they started building stuff on them anyway. Um, sketchy infrastructure at best. 
like like military bases that kind of look like <laughs> residential, but not really. Um, and, and you know that's all, like all of that region is south of where we're talking about. Um, so I guess Hong Kong is very isolated and very close. Obviously, if you, like you can drive, you can drive across a bridge or something and be on like the mainland, right? Or is it a ferry? Yeah, I mean it's it's real close either way. Yeah, it, it, it's like yeah, neg- negligible in like the, the scheme of things. So yeah, I mean the point is, I mean you also see China doing things like just building, like just taking dirt and putting it in the ocean, like building more <laughs> land, like right, just ex- just to expand their borders, like just that much more. By just yeah. throwing throwing dirt into the ocean and like on the it's beach. Like cartoon villain <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's literally like Wiley E. Coyote shit. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, and it's, you know, it's kind of silly that type of thing. But when you look at what China is actually doing to citizens, especially like marginalized groups or journalists, it, it really gets uh, pretty concerning. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's crazy to see some of the shit that's going on in China that has been. Just going on. What the, there's like a group of like uh, Chinese who are like basically designated from birth as like organ donors, live organ donors. Like I can't remember what the name of it is, but that's a whole apparently a whole thing. I don't really want to get into it, but I guess people can Google that shit. Yeah. Um. Yo. So um, just because we were like probably running out of time a little bit, um, talk about uh, the last two things here. Um, this ESP8266 and ESP32 hacks um, are pretty cool. The uh, first one, um, it just seems to be when they send out a beacon frame, um, you can overflow the, uh, the amount, uh, or you can put a number in the uh, AKM uh, suite count for uh, the authentication key management stuff. Um, if it goes too big, um, then you can just crash the system with it. They said one single keyframe or uh, beacon frame and uh, or probe response and you can destroy the uh, you can crash the esp um and people are i guess trying to research some other uses for that um but the other ones were um were for bones in a uh, eap um that you could use to hijack uh encrypted sessions uh with wi-fi which is um yeah i mean if you have an esp and anything there's there are a few commercial products that use esps in them um and i don't know how they'd get a firmware update to deliver to them because they're usually well, pretty bespoke there's an ota so if you use like free rtos or something on them you can do ota updates to esps that's cool uh, yeah that is a thing but it's i don't know how reliable it is but, no, yeah, it can versus implementing like implementing. yeah i mean I, i've seen some random random devices that are just a esp that is hooked up to a microcontroller board and it's not really you know, too crazy. They're just they're trying to connect to some Wi-Fi, and then once you configure it, you basically you do the same thing. They have a little tiny captive portal that you use to configure the Wi-Fi on like the device, and then boom, you just uh, connect it to your Wi-Fi, and all of your logs are going to China. Um, but yeah, that's like a thing. <laughs> so if you have anything like this, or if you use ESPs, or if you develop stuff with ESPs, definitely uh, update the firmware on them. This is like one of the times that you actually really should. Um, but there's also like uh like this ape thing as well like it can be conf- like negotiated through a rogue ap as well mm-hmm. um, yeah and i believe that was more than exploiting the eap protocol though right like mm-hmm. but 
the interesting thing about it is how many ASPs do you know are connecting to like eight networks, like zero. Like yeah. Ethernet so I think that there's got to be like a couple of products that might just have this sort of thing in it. Who knows? But this just goes to show that there are still things that can be found in ESP stuff that we should be updating these stuff or this stuff because having these things in products that get rolled out as IoT products and somebody just has to open it and sees the lovely little uh, expressive logo on the chip will know that they can uh, hit it with these random weird bugs. I think the I think Espressif had updated the library, but not updated the package that the like Arduino package thing downloads. But I mean, please, yeah, if, if you can try and learn how to program these without the Arduino thing, because it's that's pretty bad. Well, I mean, realistically though, you just need to have it to be. Uh, you can download it your own firmware, like bin file, and then just toss it on there to flash it. There's like yeah. a couple of different scripts for that. So I don't, I don't know how much that firmware itself relies on Arduino packaging stuff, but I would definitely check that out too. Yeah, Thanks. there was a mention that it was needed to be patched there. So I got it, not in this article, I don't think. I think the silver lining, I might be thinking of something else is one of these things is triggerable with like malformed probe requests. So next con you have where everyone's being annoying with those little deauthors, just kind of Break a few of them. Oh my gosh, <laughs> like the uh, the Wi-Fi pineapple thing where somebody was breaking people's pineapples. Yeah, break all things. I mean, it's not like a a perma brick. You just like you know reflash it probably or like get a new bootloader on it. But you can, yeah. It's uh, I think it was it. I want to say Sharkon or something where the badges had a vulnerability and people made like somebody like build a botnet out of it or runs like ad hoc badges. Oh man, exploit dev while you're at a conference for the badges of that conference is pretty high stakes. Pretty cool. Yeah. They were <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty cool. Pretty flashing firmware on people's badges. Well, good stuff. Yeah. So the last story we have of the night: um, this California man was sentenced for buying a chemical weapon on the dark web. Um, not Florida man. <laughs> right, no, not Florida man this time. Uh, Florida man was busy making and manufacturing the chemical weapon. <laughs> so yeah, this person had been um, basically talking on a, a dark web forum, asking for a specific chemical to uh, murder his wife, and they purchased oh. this chemical from an undercover federal agent. Um, mm -hmm. And they had asked a bunch of questions about, you know how they're gonna send it. They're just very, very incriminating. Like there's no like way around it. Like, a, oh, I was just looking at it. Like, it's like, a, do you use these specific labels for it? Or do you, you know, like how many vials can I get from you? Like just very, very specific, uh, maliciously in intended uh, requests. Let's work, on a, let's work on a 120 pound person. <laughs> yeah, right? like, how many milligrams? Can I get I five pounds of uh, wife murder juice? Thank you. <laughs> I've pasted a relevant link into uh, some British humor into uh, the Twitch chat. I suggest you watch it after the show, and it's basically this. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you do poison? Um, yeah, like, like, how do I expose my wife without compromising myself? <laughs> I mean, can honestly. I somehow paint the poison on a surface, like her keyboard or door handle? Would it evaporate? 
holy shit this guy like, yeah no it's it's like very very specific stuff um it's just interesting though um i guess the people are just i don't know that's a very extended reach for the i guess dark web markets is, is you know money poisons but that's interesting though i mean the part of the battle to me is he's a fucking former paypal employee damn but if uh, you what? Were- the, the person was a former PayPal employee? Yeah, oh, yeah. this is an article. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, I mean, you got to feel kind of bad for the, uh, the, the you know, undercover FBI agents or whatever, whose entire job is to just hang out on dark web forums. It's like, I just can't imagine that that would be a particularly interesting thing to do. Oh, no. Also probably uh, see some unpleasant things. Interesting, but just very depressing. Yeah, the the interest turns into despair very quickly in that kind of environment. Well, it's also like if you could imagine that if somebody, like, if somebody is using a dark web forum um, and the FBI is aware of it, like they can probably get everybody on the forum. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd imagine that they can nab just about everybody. Uh, So I wonder how people defend against that. it's a little bit of the case of like people who are on the dark net often like people who use tor or like do you remember uh i use tor all the time you clean it people are weird yes (laughs) there was that person that came into our slack and was like i I always hang out on tor you guys are so weird it's like it's actually weird to always hang out on tor (laughs) yeah (laughs) not to mention like that was like one of the uh right one of those government spying programs was like oh yeah like indicators that this person is someone we're watching like oh they have ever used tor like, oh yeah yeah well, they only use like they only use tor that's kind of yeah well i think part of the thing with tor is it's uh you know vulnerable to timing attacks if you're using it on a wireless network that might not be exclusive i so, mean there's there's, there's a, a laundry list of of shit um, yeah. But so, like, part of that is the more you use Tor, the harder it would be to associate a timing attack. But honestly, like, I'm surprised that there's not a. I, I looked around a little bit. I didn't see any scripts or anything that just generate fake traffic. Seems like that would well, be. Um, there's a lot of stuff, but like, this is once again, this is just a case of like, hey, send me to my address, wife murder juice. Right. Yes. Yeah, right, I don't think any like network traffic spoofing or anything like that, or pattern pattern spoofing. Right, yeah, it's just like, here's my address. Like, Hi, yeah. this is my wife's name. Uh, do you have any specific poisons for somebody with this name, like in build? Uh, it's like the same, uh, it's the same deal as like when people, you know, commit a crime and get Bitcoin, and they're like, oh, sweet, it's anonymous. But now what do you do with it? I've got to cash it out somewhere. <laughs> yeah. To actually reap the benefits in real life. Yeah, the hardest <laughs> part about financial crime is taking the money. Yep. Sure is. Well, hey, um, it's about 11 o'clock over here in America slash New York time zone. Um, I think we should probably call it a night, but I definitely dug, dug this sort of news yeah, oriented cool. thing where we could expand like it a bit it. further because um, we tend to kind of uh, try to stuff a lot into two hours, which it's a long time, but we definitely, I feel like we might feel like we're out of time sometimes. Um, so we might have to experiment a bit more with trying to do some of these and inviting some people who have done some of the things that we talk about onto our show because we've run out of time at times as well to do that. 
Um, so yeah, if you anybody here uh, who's listening has any opinions, um, you can add us on Twitter and tell us whether or not you dug a, uh, a news-focused show. Uh, we might be able to try to do um, less guests and have it for maybe more special occasions and um, try to maybe do more news-oriented and longer um, deep dives into stories. Um, I guess the, yeah. uh, the Thug Crowd uh, Twitter account is probably a good suggestion box um, for, you know, send a DM and uh, it may or may never get read. I don't know. It, it may or may not end up on Reddit for some reason. Um, yeah, it may <laughs> so actually, we, I, I forgot to put this into the notes, but uh, we have r slash Thug Crowd. So if anybody wants to join that and share links to it or ask us silly questions, um, go for it. Uh, shout out to Dade for starting that for us. Um, but yeah, I'm, we're going to try to use it a bit more um, just to aggregate some links because there's a lot of good stuff that gets shared on there. And also we have to kind of look at, we, we end up finding a bunch of our, our screenshots that we post uh, just kind of reposted on Reddit uh, and like Master Hacker with like a bajillion upvotes and we're like, damn it. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, yeah, that's good um, shit. Also, like, yeah, let us know uh, who, who from the news, where just in general you'd like to have, like to see on. Uh, yes. Are, like, there are so many people. There are really just so many people. Uh, hard to hard to figure out who and when and what and where. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And if, if you want to be a guest, then you're probably not going to be a guest. If you were a <laughs> already a speaker. <laughs> If, if if you already actually have something to talk about that's not uh, DDoS related, it's not you know uh, not Mirai variants, or if you have an interesting topic, we would like to talk to you. But uh, I'm sure you know who you are. Must have yeah. at least twenty letters worth of certificates. Yes, twenty <laughs> is amateur hour. No, we definitely want to have. If anybody, as I said before, if anybody wants to submit more write ups, we'd love to read them and and go over them on the air. Um, uh, you know, have more time to just deep dive into some different write-ups and things. If you want to talk about a write-up, you're done. We can definitely work it out too. Um, but yeah, definitely want to be a bit more community-focused. So um, thanks everybody for listening and always uh, sticking out, hanging out with us. Yeah. Um, does anybody have anything else to say before we uh, get off the air? Uh, uh, up and get a lawyer for Dan. Bugs not drugs. Goodbye, poison. Gated crime. Shout out to Lumpus and Splats. <laughs> oh shit, I never changed my name from UK Driller. <laughs> <laughs> Shout outs to everybody but UK Drillers. <laughs> yeah, DDoSing just is not cool. So, yeah. The one Same that. on you, United Kingdom Drillers. <laughs> BST plus zero the time zone nobody gives a shit about oh also uh, one more thing in the show notes check out in the cheat codes check out Kexec had released the the write up for how they've been hacking all the signs around the world um, pretty so fun put that in paste in so definitely take a look at that because that's um that's really interesting we'll be uh, we appreciate the shout out as well there, there's a thug crowd shout out in there but please uh, we didn't don't implicate us in your yeah. yeah we definitely had nothing to do with it but it was interesting for sure they actually did something that i thought was they actually did something i had an, a different idea of what they were doing um but 